This next three Sundays, we're going to look at church music because the verse in Colossians is, is telling us to exhort each other and let the word of Christ dwell richly among us. But then it also says to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to God. So, but the third sermon will actually unpack what psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs mean. But this one is simply titled, God's People Sing. God's people sing. I have eight points, so if you're a note-taking type, you'll like that. You can actually write one, two, three, four, five, and so on. First point, God's people always have and always will sing. We sang when he rescued us out of slavery in Egypt. You can say us. We sang when he rescued us out of slavery in Egypt. We sang when, we, when he gathered us in the wilderness in the, at the tabernacle. We sang around Solomon's temple. We sang hymns with Jesus as we shared meal. And we sang in the early church as we were suffering persecution and we worshiped the risen and victorious Jesus, we always have and we always will sing. And you say, what, why? Well, there's a hymn writer who explained it like this, my life flows on in endless song above earth's lamentations. I hear the sweet though far off hymn that hails a new creation. We sing because our souls hear the music of heaven. We, we see the pain of earth, we see the fallenness of the world, but we have been awakened to the hope of the gospel. And then he says this, or is it she? Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear the music ringing. I, it finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? Do you know this hymn? No storm can shake my inmost calm. While to that refuge clinging. I'm sure I'm singing it way different than you would. That's what happens, isn't it? Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? What, though my joys and comforts die, I know my Savior liveth. What though the darkness gather round, songs in the night he giveth. No storm can shake my inmost calm, while to that refuge clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? I'm going to sing you the last verse because it's so good. The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart, a fountain never springing. All things are mine since I am his. How can I keep from singing? This is why God's people have always sung, sing now and always will sing because our souls find the goodness and the hope of who he is. So that's point number one. God's people always have and always will sing. Point number two, when God's people sing, we sing with one voice. One voice. The whole church in the whole earth 
for all time has always sung with one voice. Many cultures, many languages, many different opinions. But when we come to worship, one voice, one song. There's a common ground, and I think it's rare. It's rare. When else does humanity actually have this kind of unity and common ground? Outside the church of Jesus gathered to worship globally. Where? Show me where. You show me where there is this kind of unity and one heart and one spirit and one name and one purpose. I can't see anywhere else. And what is this common ground? It's this. The whole church in the whole world for the whole of time is saying this, God is good, we are loved, we are grateful for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus is our king, Jesus will come again, Jesus will reign forever, the whole universe is his, and we declare that he's not left us as orphans, but he's sent us his spirit to guarantee that we are as holy forgiven, blameless, and beloved people. That's our common ground. No matter the denomination, the generation, the language, the country, the personal opinions, all the other stuff that we think is so important, it just melts away. Revelation chapter seven, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, tongue, people, language, standing before the throne and before the lamb and they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and the, around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. We always have and we always will sing. Third point, God's church is active in the singing. Most of our culture views music as a passive experience. It's something we watch, it's something we listen to, it's something we take in, it's something where they are performing, they are channeling their soul in an expression, and we are the audience. We are who it's for, but not in church. In church, we are not who this is for. We are not the audience. We are the choir. And church music is not for listening. It is for singing. So if you aren't singing, you're doing it wrong. You can nod. There's a psalm that says, Lord, open our lips and our mouth will declare your praise. That shows that there's something spiritual going on that keeps you from singing. And there's something spiritual going on that causes you to sing. When I'm in the depths of despair and I'm under the cloud of depression, the last thing I wanna do is open my mouth. When I have no hope left, 
The last thing I wanna do is open my mouth. But far be it from me that that heavenly choir be missing my voice, no matter what is happening in my life. So the church is active. Karl Barth said, <laughs> he's the dude who wrote like huge books about the gospel, books with big words, right? He's the guy who smart people read. <laughs> I like when he says simple things. They're like, what's the gospel? And he's like, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And they're like, but you wrote 1,700 pages. And he's like, still true. And he says this about singing. The church which doesn't sing isn't the church. That's a little extreme. Okay. So here's how I picture this. The team that's up here is not uh, performing for you. The team up here is more like conductors. You are the choir, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the audience. So our goal is not, hey, check this cool guitar lick that I just played out. Our goal is, can we bring you along to give him your heart along with us, right? Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, cool. Fourth point. I'm piggybacking on the previous one. It's for God, not for us. The songs are for his glory, not ours. I love Psalm 115, verse one. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Not to us. This isn't about us. This isn't for us. It's so hard, I think, in the modern church. I mean, after a service, we stand around and we talk. Or if somebody wasn't present at your church, they'll ask you, how was church? And then you evaluate whether you liked it or agreed or enjoyed it and answer. Are you with me? Can you imagine going to the Old Testament temple, offering the best of your flock, the best of your field, the best of your vineyard, the costliest sacrifice, and it hurt a little because it's a sacrifice, duh, that's what a sacrifice is. It dies and it hurts and it costs. And you know for a fact it isn't for you because you didn't really want to give that one. You wanted to keep that one, why? because it's your best one. And God demands your best. He says, don't, don't give me any gimpy, broken, screwed up stuff that's leftovers that you didn't want. Hey, you know, it's messed up. Donate it to the church. No, he says, no, give me your best. I'm a great king. So can you imagine leaving temple, having given your best and having somebody say, how, 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 how was worship today? And you go, I don't know, the way the priest declared you know, my sins over me when I put my head on the animal. I just didn't really like it. The way, I didn't like the way he cut its neck. He should have cut it that direction. I didn't like the way he sprinkled the blood. He should have sprinkled the blood overhand. He was underhand, and you know how I feel about these things. I have strong opinions. I'm sorry, I just have strong opinions. So, you know, hopefully the next time the right priest will be on duty because it's such a bummer when I don't get it the way I like it. People would just look at you like, are you high? Do you actually think 
that what you feel is relevant to worship? So fast forward to a new covenant context. It's supposed to be costly. Did it cost you something to worship today? Did it cost you something to offer a song, to offer your heart, to offer your life, to follow in the path of obedience? Well, good, good. That means you're offering something that has grit, something that has grab. You remember the fire falls on sacrifice. David says, I'm not gonna offer to the Lord sacrifices that cost me nothing. Burn offerings that cost me nothing, no. But when you offer to the Lord sacrifices that cost, the fire falls from heaven. The priest doesn't have to light a match. There's divine life on it when you've got skin in the game. It's for God. Fifth point. Church music has two purposes. Just right when I say it's for God, then I throw in this other purpose. It's to glorify God as the first purpose, but the second purpose of church music is to edify the church. It's not for you, but it is definitely to help you and I. It's definitely to strengthen you and I. It's definitely to build you and I up. Ephesians says, speak to each other with psalms and hymns, making music in your hearts to the Lord. Notice that. It says, speak to each other to the Lord. It's both. It's for the Lord. It's to the Lord, but you don't forget about each other. There's this thing that goes on in corporate worship that's different than private worship. Private worship is different than corporate worship. And here's at least one way. When Paul's talking about worship in 1 Corinthians, he says, if you're praying in a tongue loudly in private, that's fine. No one's there to be confused or distracted. If you're praying in a tongue loudly in public, that's not fine unless there's interpretation because it's disruptive and loud and confusing. And that also can apply if you're just screaming or freaking out in private. It's an emotional display. It's raw. It's honest. You're connecting with God. It's perfectly appropriate. But if that's how you do it every time when you come in here so that people have to, ugh, their ears and their whoof and the whole scene and it's just, yikes, you're being selfish. You're connecting to God fine, but you're not bringing everyone else along. So Paul says in Corinthians, when you're together, pray in such a way that the other person can also get in on that prayer and say, amen. And I don't, that applies to all sorts of things. So is it for God? Yes. But in a corporate setting, we also want to be, able, be sensitive to each other and do something that's conducive to bringing the whole group into the presence of God. And by the way, that doesn't mean you can't pray in tongues. Paul says, if there's no one to interpret, then keep it quieter. You'll hear me quietly praying in tongues in public, not into the microphone. In other words, there's a certain level of appropriateness but if I feel like, okay, this is for someone to be interpreting, it's a different deal. And the, the same applies to music. Let's move on. You're with me, right? You catch what I'm saying. It's for God, but it's also for us. And the for us part means we have to be careful not to, as long as I'm connecting with God and being real. I had a friend and, and he would get, okay. The other, I was the hall pastor in my college dorm and they said, you got to go talk to so-and-so. And I said, why? And they said, 
People were at the altar trying to pray, and he was totally disruptive and scary. I said, well, what was he doing? Well, he was running around the room screaming and jumping over the people who were trying to quietly pray. I said, what? And yeah, he was hurdling them like a runner in, a, in the Olympics, like they were the hurdles. He could have kicked people in the head. They couldn't pray. They were trying to do business with God, but they couldn't. He totally disrupted what the Lord was doing in their lives, totally disrupted it. I, so I went down to his room, and I said, what happened? And he said, well, I was in worship. And I heard the Lord say, worship me. So I sang louder and I got blessed. Hmm. I said, that's interesting. He seems to like that. So I sang even louder and I got blessed. Then I sang even louder and I got blessed. So I raised my hands and I got blessed. And it kind of, you can see where this is going, right? Until he was running around the room full speed, yelling, jumping over people at the altar. Selfish. Selfish. Being selfish, blaming Holy Spirit for his own selfishness. Because that's one of the things we do, is blame the Lord for the decisions we make instead of saying, I was trying to hear God and it was a, it was a good intention. I had a good intention, but now let's sit back and let's post-process. Did it help? Was that beneficial to the body? No, it was not. I've done the opposite, guys. I've quenched the Spirit because of fear of disrupting what's going on in, a, in the service. So don't hear me saying you never do something the Spirit leads. I was really feeling the joy of the Lord and I started to chuckle and giggle. And the preacher was preaching and I thought, I can't be laughing during a sermon. And the guy next to me said, what are you doing? Let it out. And the reason he said let it out is because it was a preacher and it was a group that wouldn't have been distracted by it. They were well familiar with these things. They would not have been distracted by it. They weren't people who grew up and like, oh my word, there's emotion? No, these people would have been fine with me laughing hysterically because they were used to that. It wasn't disruptive in that church culture. But the way I grew up, it was utterly disruptive. So I tamped it down and tamped it down until it suddenly went away. And my, my whole spirit went so flat that I was like, oh, I just quenched the Holy Spirit. Now, until that experience, I didn't know the difference between grieving the Spirit, which has to do with sin, and quenching the Spirit, which is not so much sin as it is putting out something in the moment the Lord wanted to do. Are you with me? So it has a private, but it also has a corporate element to it. That's point five. Number six. Our songs both express our faith and they form our faith. We sing because we believe, but also we believe partly because we've learned what we believe through singing. How many of you feel like you'll remember every sermon I preached once you leave this place? If I see any hands raised, I'll be like, no, you, you don't have that good of a memory. But songs aren't that way, are they? A song is sticky. A song takes a truth that I might take 30 minutes to unpack, like God will never change. He's always faithful. He will remain through every, every turn, every change, every season of your life. He'll be faithful. I could preach a 30-minute sermon on that. Or, or, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. I think I started too high. As thou hast been, 
thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. This is why it's so important to me that the, the lyrics, the words of our songs present a massive, huge, beautiful, Christ-centered Father who looks just like Jesus presented. Because when we go through the stuff of life, it's the songs that will come up. It's the songs that will come out. And again, they don't just express our faith, they teach us, they shape our faith. In college, I made up a fake worship song, kind of making fun of my generation. And the lyrics go, it's all about me. It's all about me and how I feel. <laughs> it's me making fun of the focus or what seems to be the focus of, or, you know, when the truth is it's not about me. It's about him and what he's done. It's about him and what he's done. But the words matter. Seventh point, almost done. Songs give us borrowed words. One thing that's tough about being a charismatic is what do you do when your soul is completely dry and the well is empty? If you're in a liturgical church, you know exactly what to do. You say your prayers with Moses, with Abraham, with David, with Paul, with Miriam, with Mary, with Hannah. You say your prayers. You say their prayers. And they give you the prayers. So when you don't know what to pray, it's no problem. They tell you what to pray. And then your soul says, oh. without that, if you're just a charismatic and you're depending on what you feel the Spirit is saying, you're in trouble. I thought I fell away and then I took a, a worship uh, class in seminary. And I mean that. I really did think I fell away. We were just, I was going through a real hard season and my, my advisor was like, you need to take a break from school. You're pushing yourself way too hard. And I was like, but I hate school. So the last thing I want to do is take a break because then I'd have to come back and it would take even longer. So I'm going to get through this if it kills me. And he's like, this isn't good. You've got bald tires on your life and you're just driving around on wet roads. What are you doing? And then we had a miscarriage and that pushed me a little over the edge. And I said to the Lord, I don't believe anymore. I don't even know why I'm doing this, which is irony, right? You don't say to the Lord, I don't believe. Like, come on. And my teacher made us pray the common prayer book for 30 days, morning and evening. And the Spirit of God met me every day, every morning and every evening. I didn't know I believed, but that book gave me words to pray. And when, they, and when it gave me words to pray, it, it interpreted my life for me. There were things in the prayer book 
which is mostly scripture, there were things in the Bible that God's people pray that you wouldn't dare pray in church. You wouldn't dare stand up and tell the Lord he hasn't been faithful. You wouldn't dare tell the Lord he's late for his appointment. You wouldn't dare tell the Lord he better come through for you like he promised. You wouldn't dare tell the Lord he used to rescue us, but now look at us, we're, we're, we're dismayed, we're forlorn. Have you gone deaf, O oh Lord? But the book of God has a, has, a hymn, has a hymnal in it called the Psalms. That's their songs. And they sing confession of sin. When's the last time we had a song confessing our sins? They sing grief, lament that everything's terrible and I don't want to live, but maybe it'll get better one day. Yeah, they say these kinds of things. They, they confess their unbelief and their distrust in the Lord. And then they strengthen themselves at the very end and they say, but I will see the goodness of Lord in the land of the living. This may be how I feel, but so help me. I'm gonna die on this hill. God is good. And he will come through for me. They get fighting about, they're mad at their enemies in their prayers. Get him, God. Sick of me, hurt me. He's wrong about me. Vindicate me. And God signs his name and says, yeah, this is valid. This is, what you, this is, how, you should, this is how you pray. This is how you pray. You, you have to get it up and you have to get it out because if you don't get it up and get it out, it'll hang on you, make you toxic. And it's important. The full range of emotions are in there. And when you don't know what to pray and you don't know what to say, man, last year, these words, I was trying to sing them on Sunday morning and I just ended up on my knees in worship practice weeping. It's practice, that's so funny. Or pretending. When I don't have the words to say When I can't seem to find my way There's one thing I can't escape It is your love When I don't know what steps to take When I don't know what moves to make there's one thing I can't escape. It is your love. Your love. Oh, just narrated my pain, narrated my hope. Borrowed words. That's point number seven. And the final point of the day, traveling songs. Did you know there's a little section of Psalms in the 120 to 120, I don't know, 29-ish region. I don't remember the details. It's somewhere in the 20s, in the 120s. They're called Psalms of Ascent. These are traveling songs. They're intended, they're written for a purpose to be sung by God's people as they walk along the various roads in Israel on their way to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. It's a little book of traveling songs. I like to think of the songs of the church as our traveling songs. We're all on our various paths to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're all on our journey. And along the way, there's your 20s and there's your 30s and your 40s and 50s, and if you're lucky, because not everyone gets to live this long. There's 70s and your 80s, some of you 80s, 90s. 
wow, on your journey with all the changes and all the circumstances and the tragedies and the griefs and the joys and the parties and the hugs and the reunions and the, you know, and all the way to Jerusalem, all the way to heaven, in our little groups as we travel together, we sing. One of my little favorite verses, and so I sent the worship team Psalm 121. It's just too good. Read it later. You're going to read it right now, aren't you? <laughs> Psalm 122, I want to, this verse, I want to develop it into a whole yelling session one day, a sermon, in other words. Just, you'll know as soon as I read it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. Come on, y'all. There's something about the church of Jesus gathered to worship the king. There's something about you mean I get to go worship with God's people? You mean I get to go on the day of his resurrection to be with his people, to drink of his spirit, sing his songs, pray his prayers, hear those old words that are always true? I get to go? I was glad when they said unto me. I mean, it just makes me think of the one time I, I, I was at this mega church and these, uh, these greeters, the greeters met you at the door and their flowers in their hair and their dresses and their perfume greeted you 10, 15 feet before they did. They didn't give you a handshake. Welcome to church. They, um, they, they baptized you in human uh, hugs. And, and, and by the time you went in there, you were already anointed with their perfume. And it, this, the whole thing was a celebration of God's goodness. The whole thing was an, just a celebration I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. God's people always have, and God's people always will sing. That's part one. I think I have two more of these little sermons about this, but thank you for your time and attention.